are in a series. I think we're about uh, two-thirds of the way through. Usually we do these short little series. This time we decided to do something a little bit longer because we thought it deserved the attention. And that is to ask the question, how does personal change occur in our life? And so there's lots of cliches about believing in God and trying harder and obeying his word. And we wanted to be able to break it down in a biblical model of what changes. And so we've been looking at three main words, truth, repentance, and faith. And according to Mark uh, 1.15, this is what we believe is the process of change. That the first thing that we do is we are honest about what we believe, and then we evaluate our beliefs according to God's word. You can't change if you don't know what you're changing towards. And then we spend a number of weeks talking about repentance, how change isn't just about having a new set of ideas. It's actually about heart change. And so we looked at being honest about our desires and how to shift our desires off of self-centeredness and onto God and his love. And now we're in the final phase. It's awkward to talk about these things as phases because it gets all jumbled up in real life. But we're now looking at the phase of faith. And what we want to be able to begin this part in is looking at the enemy of faith, which is fear. Now, fear is a big word in the Bible. I'm going to use the word anxiety to be able to separate uh, unhealthy fear from healthy fear. So the Bible talks about fear as being a healthy thing, to fear the Lord. And there's other healthy fears, like don't run in front of a car. Uh, so there's, there's good fears, but then there's unhealthy fears that become very crippling, and we're describing those fears as anxiety. Now, anxiety is the mental health issue of the 21st century. It's the most common mental illness on the face of the planet. Uh, it, it seems like no matter where you turn, and I'm sure that you experience this yourself, that there's this deep-seated uh, uh, Fear, stress, and life just doesn't seem very settled. And even if everything's going well, there's just this concern that maybe, uh, you know, what's going to happen next? And how am I going to retire? And what's my job going to be? And who am I going to marry? And why do I feel the things that I feel inside? And it's just, ah, and it becomes anxiety. So not only is that true, that it's the mental health issue of this century, it's also the Bible's main heart issue. I did a study on this, uh, I think it was about a year ago, and I looked at all the times that it mentions uh, for us to not be afraid, and do not fear. And then I looked at how many times the Bible says, don't make idols. And the call to not be afraid is mentioned 12 times more than to not make idols. Like, I didn't know that. So I thought idolatry, which is obviously a big deal. I thought, uh, you know, that for sure. But God is more concerned about our fear. Uh, it's four times more often than him telling us to not be proud. So there's something, it's not saying that idolatry and pride is a good thing. Uh, there's something that says that... Uh, our anxiety is actually what feeds idolatry and what feeds pride. That it's a, it's a root issue out of which come all these other 
unhealthy things. So let's spend a minute looking at what defining what anxiety is, what it looks like, and then how to get out of it. Here's the working definition that we have of what anxiety is. Anxiety is what it feels like to mistrust God. Now, I have been a Christian since I was 11 years old, so that puts me in the church for a very long time. And I was told all the time that I should be trusting in God, have faith in God, just believe in him. It's hard for me sometimes to tell whether the things that I'm doing and thinking and feeling are coming out of faith or coming out of a, out of a darker place. Anxiety is a way to understand what unbelief feels like. So if I'm anxious, I trace that feeling back to its source and there's something that I'm not believing about God in that place. So the way then to remedy my, or, or to, to back things up before it becomes unbelief and all kinds of ugly things is to deal with my anxiety. Mark 4.40 ties together this idea of fear and faith. It says Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are freaking out in a boat, in a storm. It says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Psalm 56.11 says the opposite of this. In God I trust and I'm not afraid. So wherever you find trust in God, you find fearless people. Wherever there is no trust in God, we have rampant anxiety and fear. So it's no surprise to me that the more secular our society becomes, the greater and greater anxiety becomes an issue. And it bothers me that we're not connecting those dots. But I'm convinced that this underlying hum of fear and anxiety, stress in our uh, in our city and nation is because we're becoming more and more godless, not choosing trust and faith as a way of living. Now, it should be said that anxiety is different than stress. Stress has to do with a circumstance, a stressful circumstance. Anxiety has to do with our reaction to that stressful circumstance. So anxiety is more internal, stress is more external. You can't avoid stress. Well, I, I suppose you can, you just move far away. But, uh, but I mean, life is stressful. But what's worse is when we are in those stressful places, can't find God, that's when our anxiety ramps up. Now, anxiety leads to, uh, I would say, most of our problems. When we look at Genesis chapter three, we see a process that is still as true today as it was then. Genesis 3 is the first temptation that's recorded in the Bible. And we see Satan tempting Eve. And it's simply this, did God really say? The way that you move people um, into sin and alienation and all kinds of things is you begin with mistrust and doubt. All of our problems, I would say, are rooted in our mistrust of God. And so what the devil does to Eve first, and Adam's right there, says, that, did God really say? And so you go, huh, that's a really good point. What did he say anyways? And I wonder why he said it. Huh. 
and you begin to doubt whether God is good and whether he's great. If you trace back all of the difficulties in your life, that's where it starts. Is God good and is he great? And as we mistrust the motives and the ability of God, then who are we going to trust in? Well, the obvious choice is self. And this is, again, what we read. Um, You will be like God, deciding what is good and evil, right and wrong, best for you and not best for you. You become in charge. You can't trust God. You know what's best for you, which is, of course, is is like humorous. (laughs) Like Like this, you know, there's no way we know what's best for us. And if you believe that, you, you know, you've not had children. Because, like, there's just, there's just no way they know what's best for you. No, no offense to, like, my kids. But, uh, but you know, it's true. <clears throat> so we mistrust God. And then the natural thing is to trust in self. And if you're trusting in self, what's the appropriate feeling? Anxiety. If it's all up to you, you should be freaked out. If you've got to make all the right decisions, be successful in how you execute, that's a lot of pressure. The natural feeling of being in charge is anxiety, and it's appropriate, because we're not designed to be our own life leader. We need a better one. And so then we mistrust God, trust in self, feel anxious, and then out of that anxiety, we act sinfully. Now, what all sin is, is ways to manage the anxiety. If I don't believe that God is going to care for me, I'm going to have to steal. If I don't think he's going to be my defender, I need to gossip. If I don't believe that he's a comforter, I'm going to self-soothe and self-medicate. If you trace back sinful behavior, uh, what's motivating and driving that behavior is our anxiety trying to manage things without trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that's super helpful because you can save yourself a whole lot of heartache and acting sinfully by backing up the bus, dealing with the anxiety before it manifests itself as sinful behavior. Psalm 37, 8 says this, do not fret, that's being anxious, it only leads to evil doing. Anxiety leads to evil doing. If you've talked to people who, um, who have committed, you know, big crimes, crimes that are, you know, worth going to jail over, People aren't thinking, I, I want to be a mean, evil person. They just don't see themselves as having a choice. Like, what else am I supposed to do? Like, do you have any better options? If I'm in charge and it's all about me, this is the best that I could come up with. Yeah, I hurt a few people. Yeah, I'm not proud of what I did. But I'm justified in it, given my presuppositions that I'm the only one that I can trust and that I'm in charge of my life. The way to get out of that, what repentance looks like, is backing things up from that sinful behavior, looking the anxiety, and understanding that we are not qualified to lead our lives. 
What anxiety also does is motivate, so it motivates sinful behavior. The second thing that it does is motivate unhealthy emotions. If you're to, uh, if you're to look at what anxiety is, anxiety would be described as a primary emotion out of which come all kinds of secondary emotions like anger and depression and confusion, compulsion, the need to just do what our hearts and minds or desires are telling us to do. It produces guilt. Uh, but what we need to understand is that we won't be able to overcome our anger or depression or confusion or guilt and shame, whatever it is, unless we trace that down and deal with the anxiety that drove those things. Using anger as an example, uh, anger is a form of control. Why are we exercising control? Because we're afraid. We're afraid of losing control, and so I need to become louder and stronger and more violent as a way to regain control. That's driven by fear. And unless we address the fear that drives the anger, the anger is never going to go away. So, my uh, offer to you this morning is that our behaviors and feelings that are negative are driven by anxiety, which is driven by mistrust. Rather than manage our behaviors or feelings, God would invite us to trace them to their source and ask this question. What is motivating me right now, fear or faith? This is the most helpful question that you can ask yourself. In any given moment, things aren't going super well. What's motivating me right now? Am I being motivated by faith and trust in God? Or am I being motivated by anxiety and fear? Feeling out of control? Feeling the need to defend myself and blame others or whatever it is that it looks like? Very helpful. And so instead of just managing our behaviors and managing our feelings, God wants to set us free by helping us to trust in him instead of ourselves. In Jeremiah 17, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in flesh for his strength. We're cursed. And then it lists a whole bunch of uh, characteristics of that kind of life, of people who trust in themselves. And then it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and gives a whole other list of characteristics that are much better. Follow me on this. The key to a happy, fulfilling, peace-filled, joy-filled life is who you're trusting. And if you trust in yourself, you get cursed. Not because God is just interested in zapping you. It's just the natural result of trusting in yourself. And as you trust in him, you have a whole other kind of life. Now, I don't know about what you think about but I don't naturally assume that my life problems can be traced back through anxiety to the mistrust of God. I don't naturally go there. I think, no, there's circumstances and, uh, you know, chemical things and uh, things, skills that I could be working on. And the Bible says, you know, God bless you, do those things. But there's a deeper thing that you need to address or those other things won't be ultimately helpful. They might be a little bit helpful, but not ultimately helpful. 
unless you address who you're trusting as your life leader. And unless that decision gets settled in your heart, all these other attempts at change will be cosmetic. So given how important leaving behind anxiety and moving into trust is, or faith, how do we find faith? How do we find faith? Uh, I got to unpack this, and you might have to concentrate for a minute. But I think it's going to be worthwhile. How do we find faith? We make it our goal. Now, just, just, you know, just... Just, just a few minutes, and it's going to be super cool. But we have, to, we have to just work through a bit. So in Luke 17, there are 10 lepers that Jesus heals. One of them comes back. The other nine do not. And then Jesus says something very interesting to the one who comes back. He says, your faith has made you well. well that's kind of interesting. Did the other ones not have faith? Or what's he saying about the other nine? Okay, you have uh, 10 lepers. Nine of those lepers believe, I think, that their biggest problem is leprosy. One believes that their main issue is a trust-filled relationship with the living God. And he makes that his priority. And he says, your faith has made you well. There's a bigger thing going on here than just your leprosy. You were able to see beyond your presenting problems and respond to me and not just go, yo, dude, thanks, I owe you one. <clears throat> Super interesting. His goal was that he hoped for something more than healing. He hoped for a relationship with God and so returned to Jesus to give him thanks and says, your trust in me has healed you and this sets you on a whole new direction. A whole new direction because there's something more going on here than just your leprosy. You chose to work through your leprosy by trusting in me and that's a level of healing that's remarkable. Now, we're almost there before we, uh, I can pull this together. Romans 8.35 says this. Um, Who will separate us from the love of God? And then a, a long list is given. I'm going to highlight three that have to do with anxiety. Uh, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Will distress, powers, or depth? Will any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? <clears throat> and of course, the answer is no no now here's the point if you and I make anxiety the thing that we want to overcome we will never find freedom but if we make our goal finding Jesus the odds of us getting out of anxiety will follow. <clears throat> um, there was a number of years ago, 
I was, uh, I was very depressed. Really hard to work, couldn't focus. And so I talked to my mentor at the time, who was also my pastor. And uh, I don't know if I've told you this before, but he drew a line on the, on the board. He had a whiteboard. And he drew a, a line on there. And he says, this line is called normal. It was kind of an upward line. It's what you hope for, at least, you know, that every day will be a little bit better than the day before. And he says, and then what happens is you think you're living your normal life. Something comes along, and it bends the line, and you start going in a downward or flat projection. And what we think is that this is bad, and the goal is to get back up to the normal line. And I remember him saying to me, Greg, there is no normal. This is your new normal. And will you be able to find God in your depression? I'd never heard anybody talk like that before. Because I thought that my goal, uh, my problem, let's say, is that I'm depressed and that I need to overcome my depression in order to be a faithful Christian again. I thought God would like it if I did that. And I would super like it too because I hated being depressed. And I'd never heard before that my enemy was not my depression. It was my inability to find God in my depression. Are you following me on this? This is a very big deal. So I had a new purpose. My purpose was not to overcome depression. In this today's talk, our purpose is not to overcome anxiety. Our purpose is to find God in the middle of our anxiety, in the middle of our depression, and now we're more than conquerors. Why? Because if my depression can't even separate me from the love of God, if my distress can't even separate me from the love of God, then for sure I'm victorious and I win. Right? I mean, if, if what can separate us from the love of God? Can distress? No, because God's in the distress. He can be found in the anxiety. He can be found in the depression, in the confusion. He's found in our guilt and shame. He's found in it. We don't, it's not the obstacle to finding Jesus. It's the road to finding Jesus. It's the place where he is. And so depression, anxiety are no longer my enemies. I found a way to befriend them because I remember what my mentor says. He says, Greg, you will find a dimension of God in your depression that other people who don't travel that road will never experience of God. And he taught me to befriend my depression. And so now, that was, that was years ago, I can still feel when I'm, I, it starts as anxiety and I can feel myself becoming hopeless, which is what I think depression is. And so I'm starting to become hopeless. And I go, oh, no, here it comes. And then everything in me wants to run in the opposite direction and think super happy thoughts and only think about hope. And I'm going to confess a whole bunch of Bible promises. And if it isn't in the Bible, I'll make them up. Whatever makes me happy to get me out of this moment, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to climb out of the hole. And then God comes, and I look over, and he's in the hole with me. I go, you're in here too? Because I always have been. 
Because nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing. There's a quote. I don't think I put it in my notes. I didn't. There's a quote that I like that says, uh, um, God's always with us, but we're not always aware of it. And the problem is not whether he's present. The problem is whether we notice or not. And when we notice him being with us, now the anxiety, the depression, the whatever it is, the sin, finds its rightful place and it's no longer defining us. He is. Our relationship with him is. And this changes everything. So this is my, uh, this is my hunch. The reason why you would struggle in your marriage the reason why you struggle with a bad boss, the reason why you would struggle with internal angst is because you, as I, struggle to see Jesus there. And as soon as we see him there, now we're set free, even though we might still be depressed and confused and anxious and troubled. I don't know how I'm, I, I am so struggling to be able to communicate that we only have one problem, blindness to the presence of God in our lives. And if we work through that problem, everything gets better, even if it doesn't. If we learn to trust in Jesus while we're stressed, we win. When we change our goal to a trust relationship, we truly change. I don't know how to tell you this because I, I, I don't want to see any of you anxious. I don't want to see you stressed or depressed or angry or addicted. I don't want to see any of that because I know what a hell of a life it is. But I don't know how to say getting out of that is not the goal. Ten lepers just wanted to be free from leprosy. That's all they're thinking about. Only 10%, only one realized there was a bigger problem that he had. And it was not his life circumstance. It was not his sickness. It was his alienation from God. And he came back and worshipped God. And his trust in him set him free. Isn't that profound? What if we're working on the wrong problems? What if this is the problem? It's just not the right problem. Our depression, our stress, persecution, whatever it is, is not our biggest problem. But it looks like it is. And I think it's the journey of the Christian life to see what's really going on. Uh, Paul Claudel, he's a, lived in the 18th century. He was a Roman Catholic uh, poet and uh, did drama and the like. This is his quote. Jesus Christ did not come to take away suffering from the world, 
Like we should all go, uh-huh. <laughs> I was kind of hoping you wouldn't say that. Jesus Christ did not come to take away suffering from the world. Now listen to this. He did not even come to explain it. I mean, just like double awe. He came to fill suffering with his nearness. Isn't that profound? He didn't come to take it away. He didn't even come to explain it. He came to fill it with his nearness. And if suffering is filled with the presence of God, it's the place of joy and peace and life everlasting. Because you figured out that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Jesus Christ. You're victorious. What a profound thought. In conclusion, the change that changes everything is a heart that trusts in God. The change that changes everything is a heart that trusts in God. We have been working now for months toward this moment in our preaching series. We've talked about truth. We've talked about repentance. Because it's hard to just start with trust. You have to start with truth. You have to know who God really is. You have to know who you really are. And then something of your desires need to change. We actually want love. We actually want that. And you don't just want the fleeting pleasures of sin. But once you've worked through what's really true and your desires have shifted towards God, what all of that is leading towards is a trust relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the most practical and powerful conclusion of a process of change. And if your change doesn't lead you toward trusting in Jesus more, I don't think it's going to be true or lasting change. You might feel happier for a moment, of course. If you quit your job or move out of your marriage or find a better set of friends, play more video games, you'll, you'll ease some of your anxiety. But nothing really changed. The only thing that's really going to change is if you learn how to trust God in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of depression, in the midst of struggles. This is what it says in Matthew 6, 33. It's a discussion about worry, anxiety. And what's the conclusion of the matter? You guys know this verse. A, well, many of you will at least. It says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Righteousness is right relationship. Seek first him, his kingdom rule, his power, his authority. Be in right relationship with him. And all of these things will be added to you as well. So do not worry, it says. I find it so frustrating whenever you read the Bible uh, and it talks about fear. It's so unhelpful. It says, don't be afraid. It's like, oh, <laughs> like, really? That's your advice? Like, stop it, you know? Don't worry. Don't be afraid. But it always ends with this, because I, God speaking, you don't have to be afraid. I'm in charge. I care about you. Make this about me. Take your eyes, shift your eyes off of your problems. Look at me in your suffering. And if you can look at me, everything's going to find its rightful place in your heart. Your anxiety will go down because I'm in charge. And I've done this a million times. And I love you. 
my affection is turned towards you. It's going to be fine. I'm here now. Our freedom then is to trust Jesus in our anxiety. Can I please invite you this morning to shift your life problem? Not about what your career is going to be, not about who you're going to marry, not about why you're struggling with so-and-so. Those are symptoms. They really are. And I implore you to find a better problem. That you and I struggle to find Jesus in those places. And that's why those symptoms are there. They're just symptoms. They're not the problem. We're going to have communion. If the people who are handing out communion, you can start to do that now. And those of you who are going to be leading in worship, you can come forward. And I'd like to pray for us. This is so profound. If we can figure this out together, man, talk about life and freedom. Talk about a gospel worth sharing with others. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you that we don't have to be clever. We barely even have to be self-aware, although that helps. We mostly just need to have eyes to see and ears to hear the presence and reality of God in the midst of our messy life. And so in those places where we feel stressed, in those places where we've not trusted you, would you please help us to be aware of your nearness? God, I'm not even asking that those problems would go away just yet because maybe they're the doorway in to seeing you and finding true hope and lasting change. And so we cry out to you, to give us better problems, that we can have better solutions, that we can be set free and saved because we simply trusted in the living God to be our hope and our deliverance. Thank you that anxiety no longer has to define us as we shift our hope onto you.